What an honor it is just to come to a place that's so excited about exalting the name of Christ. I can sense the joy and the admiration for the Lord in here this morning. God is good. We're going to continue to uh, be ministered to by the Lord as we turn to His Word and fellowship in Christ. I want to just mention a few things before we dive into Scripture. We will be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Um, rather than waiting for our praise time, I just we were talking about Sunday school where the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians to give us thanks, to give thanks for everything. And I just want to thank the Lord for, as of yesterday, 28 years of marriage uh, to my beautiful bride. <clears throat> And we got married, let's see, 200 yards uh, from here, straight through the woods and the farm on the left as you drive up. So we have history here. And yeah, it was very hot that day, although it didn't bother me a bit. Uh, Honestly, I saw everybody sweating and just it was it was brutally hot. I just was enjoying every second of it. It was awesome. And uh You know, I was thinking a lot about our marriage, and I thought, you know, after 28 years, uh, I deserve some kind of reward for putting up with with me. And uh, Lisa deserves a reward for putting up with me as well. So, no, but I am grateful for uh, my wife and to God for bringing her into my life and the result of that union, my children. Another thing I want to draw our attention to is in the bulletin, there is a little scripture at the bottom of the first page called A Truth for the Royal Treasury. And you will know just a few weeks ago that we ministered to the Lord and he ministered to us as we proclaim scriptures to one another that have meant the most for us in our Christian walk. And we just had an opportunity for everybody to kind of start in the front and and, and work our way to the back to share scriptures that have meant something to them, that have ministered to them. And a few people actually began to record the scriptures that were spoken. I think Lisa and Michelle had something to do with that. Came up with the idea of let's just publish one or post one of those scriptures each Sunday until we run out. And it may be a while before we run out of the scriptures that you guys shared a few weeks ago. And this morning... Um, is Isaiah 41:10. So just I uh, want you to be aware of these scriptures that that can continue to minister to us. They will be posted in the bulletin from God's royal treasury of truth. So thanks for that. And then also um, after I deliver the message this morning, we are going to have a time of prayer for our retreat leaders, uh, for the ladies and the guys. So I'm going to truncate the message a little bit, just turn it into a one-point sermon, and so we have a little bit of time to pray for the upcoming retreat, particularly the leaders who will lead that time. Then I also want to have a, a special time of prayer just for our nation, all that's going on with law enforcement and, and racism, and we're, you know, it just continues to haunt us and come back. And we are God's people, and so we're faced with decisions to make and choices to make, and we want to, um, we want to be a light in this world. So we want to just pray for God's safety, but also for our own hearts, and that we would be a witness for a country that is, really wants peace and order, 
but because of our sinful tendencies, don't always go about the right way of getting it. So I just wanted to kind of give you a heads up on where we're headed today with that. But for now, we are in Matthew chapter 1. We have begun our study of this great gospel, the book of Matthew. And the, the title of this book, or the main theme, is the king and his kingdom. Matthew is all about Christ as king. And we're going to be in the... In the, we're in the first 17 verses. We'll be there for a few sermons more. But this morning, actually, we're just going to camp in the very first verse. But this is called the begat section, the first 17 verses, because such and such begat such and such. And they give the genealogy. And we have seen the importance of pedigree and genealogy uh, a few weeks ago. And basically what Matthew is doing is by listing this genealogy is saying that Jesus Christ, no matter what direction you go, whether you follow Mary's line or Joseph's line, has every right, both earthly and divine, to rule as king over all people and all of Creation and pedigree is important. Even in Jesus's day, what did the Jews often say to him? Well, we're Abraham's sons. In other words, you we can trace our bloodline all the way back to him. Therefore, we are children of the promise. And the Apostle Paul was known to also uh, pull his pedigree card when he talked about I'm a Benjamite. So pedigree and following your line back was very, very important. And Matthew is drawing on that I do want to just say that what does all this mean today? Well, today the records are no longer there. The genealogies are no longer there. Uh, I went online just to see what was what kind of research had been written and found that there are very, very few Jewish people that will claim that they can actually follow their line back to a certain tribe. And even those are unsubstantiated. And so in essence, because of the diaspora and because of the destruction of the temple, the hardships that the Jews faced, the records have been wiped out. There, there's nothing substantiated in place where someone can say, I absolutely have a record of my line. So if anybody, what that means is if anybody came along and claimed to be the Messiah from the line of David, then they couldn't prove it from the genealogical record, which is very, very important to the Jews. John MacArthur says that Jesus Christ is the last verifiable claimant to David's throne. If he is not the Messiah, nobody else can ever lay claim to it. Well, last time we closed by reflecting on uh, how long it takes God sometimes to fulfill his promises. And we close with that, contemplating that quote, uh, the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly fine. So, yes, they take a while, but often the fulfillment is beyond our imagination. What I want to do look look at this morning is just basically one thing, and that is the royal history. So I'm going to read just one verse this morning. I intended to read the 17, but we will save that for another time. First verse, chapter one, Matthew, the book of genealogy of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then Matthew goes on to trace Goes back to Abraham and trace Christ's line all the way up to Mary and Joseph. The, the point I want us to consider this morning is that God has entered history. When we talk about royal history, 
God has entered history. Now, because we we live in a age of relativism, there's not supposed to be any real truth or objective truth that we can actually land on, all agree on and sink our teeth into. But I want to point out something very important about Matthew's gospel and particularly in this first verse. And that's the way he begins this gospel. You just look at the way he begins it and there are incredible truths to come. We have a sermon on the mount. We, we have, of course, the, the death and resurrection, the second coming. He talks all about that. The king will return. But he begins with something very important. And that is by saying that this is the book of genealogy of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That word for book can also mean record. So he begins by establishing or substantiating the fact that Christ has entered into our reality, that he really was here or really is here. He makes it a matter of record. He makes it a matter of history. So the, the idea is that God has entered into history. He doesn't start his gospel as some books start with once upon a time, long, long ago. In the little quaint town of Nazareth, a baby was born. Now, that's true. A baby was born. But he doesn't lead us to believe. And there were stories like that in mythologies, even way before Matthew's gospel was written. But he states it as a matter of fact. It's, it's a record. It's documentation. In essence, in saying, you know, let, let's go down to the courthouse and settle this if there are any disputes. You know, you and I might have, a dis- say, a property dispute. Uh, you might be my unfriendly neighbor and say, your garden is planted on my property. And be absolutely sure that you were right and be emotional about it. And have lots of opinions about it. But if I say, well, let's take it to the courthouse and see what the records have to say, that's what's going to stand. It's a matter of history. Something has been recorded in in our reality, the world that we live in. And that's how Matthew starts his his uh, gospel. It's on legal grounds. And ordinarily, we could stop there because most of you would nod your head and agree. Okay, it's it's documentation. It's Holy Scripture. And there were lots and lots of manuscripts that were copied of Scripture and the Gospels. More evidence of this than any other documentation in that day. That is also historically recognized. We could just stop. But because there is this shift in our culture of relativism. But also the shift in what it really means to believe, what it means to believe in God, what it means to even believe in truth. We have to think about what Matthew is staying here because there's a shift in our culture right now, particularly among young people. No offense, but there's a shift in our culture that is really pushing the gospel, is pushing Jesus and really Christianity into the realm of myth, into the realm of storybook. It's being pushed into the realm of opinions and mere value systems or belief systems as opposed to substantiated fact. And there's a big difference between value systems and opinions and fact. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to help you understand where I'm coming from. Many of you, I'm sure, are aware But I want to give you a few examples taken from a New York Times article 
that uh, came across last year, written by Justin P. McBrayer. He said, here's a little test devised from questions available on fact versus opinion worksheets. And you can go online and find these. And he, he's going to give some statements. And the question is, and this is right off the website, are the following facts or opinions? So be thinking about how you would label these if you were taking this test. Is that a fact or an opinion? Copying homework assignments is wrong. Cursing in school is inappropriate behavior. All men are created equal. It is worth sacrificing some personal liberties to protect our country from terrorism. It is wrong for people under the age of 21 to drink alcohol. Vegetarians are healthier than people who eat meat. Now, that's a trick question right there. Drug dealers belong in prison. So what's the answer? How would you have? I'm not going to ask you to, but in your mind, how would you have answered these statements? Well, in each case, the worksheets categorize these claims, all of these claims as opinions. And the explanation on offer is that each of these claims is a value claim and value claims are not facts. This is repeated ad nauseum. Any claim with good, right, wrong, etc. is not a fact. So in summary, our public schools, this is by uh, taken from core values, I believe, common core values. Our public schools teach students that all claims are either facts or opinions and that all value and moral claims fall into the later camp of mere opinion. The punchline, there are no moral facts. And if there are no moral facts, then there are no moral truths. So that's that really concentrates on the idea of is there any such thing as absolute moral truth? Absolutely. This is right. And this is wrong. And that they would say, no, there are no absolute moral truths. And we've been dealing with that for decades. But what's happening now is it's transitioning into not just the moral realm where things are hard sometimes to put your finger on. It's transitioning into the historical realm into our reality. And so you've heard claims today that people are rewriting history. Why would they do that? Well, because our opinions are held in such high view that people can go back and impose their opinion and their modern day perspective on what really happened in history. And then we no longer really know what happened in history. In other words, truth is is becoming hard to find. Things that people actually agree on. And so we'll hear statements today like, well, this may be true for you. And that's fine, but it's what's true for you is not true for me. And what's true for me may not be true for you. Or you can believe whatever you want, dude. It's cool. It's all good. You can have your system and believe in your God. Whatever floats your boat is good. But these statements are... uh, Very, very dangerous when it comes to the gospel and Christianity, because truth exists regardless of our experiences. Truth exists and is absolute regardless of what we think about it or what conclusions we draw or how we even feel about it. 
What's happening in our generation is that people's opinions are being viewed now as truth. So at first it was there's no absolute truth. And now it's a switch to where my feelings, my opinion, my personal rights. We hear a lot about that today uh, are substantiated because I say they are. And you can't impose or contradict me or challenge me. Because who are you to challenge what I believe or what I think or how I think the world should work? And so we can't have absolute truth. So what do we have? Of course, we have a culture of tolerance. The reason that tolerance is such a big word today is because you got to think about it. If we're going to say everything is good and you can believe whatever you want, uh, if your view opposes my view, there could be a lot of tension and violence. So we have to come out with this idea that let's just all publicly consent to the fact that anything kind of goes and we're just going to accept each other. We're going to be tolerant. Otherwise, the world's going to really fall into a deep mess if we are no longer tolerant of our views that actually conflict. So tolerance is really just a public consent to not believe in real truth in many cases. So, okay, what does all that mean for Christianity? Well, it means that if you're a Christian today, much of the world in our culture is looking at you in, a, in, in eyes of toleration. I am going to tolerate what you believe as long as you believe in it in such a way that does not oppose me or step on my toes. That's what we face in our culture today by and large. Uh, it, it needs to be practiced in the privacy of your own home. Don't bring it into the workplace. You get big trouble bringing your verses and your Christianity into the workplace and trying to live it out. And there's a shift that I won't get into, but there's a big difference, by the way, when you hear the media talk about freedom of religion versus freedom of worship. Freedom of religion is what our Constitution teaches, which is what we should fight for. Freedom of worship means, yeah, you can believe whatever you want as long as you don't bring it in into my room or into my workplace or into this public setting. Hence, nativities being illegal and so forth. There's a big difference. So it, you can believe these things, but don't get assertive about them. Um, you might hurt somebody's feelings. Christianity declares the very first Verse in Matthew declares that the gospel is absolutely true. It is real. And it proclaims that the God of the universe really did in a point of time enter into our world, into our reality and into our history. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means this. The Christian faith would say because it's real and because it's true, how you respond to this reality determines whether you stand or fall in your life. In other words, because it's true, it demands a response. Whereas if we just tolerate one another's religious views and opinions and whatever you believe and whatever God you want to think of as God is fine with me, there, there's no accountability to that. We can all just have our personalized Pan pizza religion. But but if it really happened and can be substantiated, then it changes things. Because it demands a response. And the gospel demands a response of belief and repentance. Historical, the gospels are historical documents that record historical events. So here's a letter I want to read to you that was written to Pastor Timothy Keller. 
by someone that was listening to one of his sermons. He says, you know, it wouldn't have been so offensive if you had just said you personally believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. He says that wouldn't be offensive, but you kept trying to say these were historical facts. You kept trying to say he was historically and literally and physically raised from the dead. You kept trying to say he really was God born in a manger. Now, what's so offensive about this is if these are historical facts, then that's insisting we all believe them, not just you. Now, isn't that interesting? Because that is exactly what the gospel insists. The gospel insists this is real. You can't you can't walk around it, whether in real life or in your mind. You can't put it into this pretend realm. It's real and it demands a response. Fortunately, this guy got the message. You're exactly right. And the gospel does offend those that do not want to believe. So we live in a culture where it's okay if you just keep it private and tucked away. But it becomes very offensive if you're going to say that that the gospel and your truths are bigger than my ideas and bigger than my opinions. Well, they don't really. Some people just do not want to hear that. But everybody has to believe in historical events. Everybody has to believe in the things that really happen. What good would it do to deny them or be delusional? So Matthew says, this begins the whole wonderful book. These are the records. They can be substantiated. And in that day, it was the legal process. They were legal documents of the day that Jesus Christ is the true king in heaven and earth. Christ the king entered into history and is in fact why history even exists in all. And think about just the simple word of the good news. What is news? It's not Jesus didn't come heralding the good advice. See, advice can be taken. I can tell you what you may ought to do based on this or that and you can take it or Leave it. The gospel is the good news. What is news? News is reported on. We watch it or we read it all the time. Reporters are reporting on an event that actually happened. Not on something that might happen. That's what news and reporting is all about. And this is the good news. It is a report of what has actually happened in history. And that is Jesus Christ has just made history royal, if you will. What did the shepherds do? They went and told and reported the good news. So the real message of Scripture is that Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Do you believe? That's the fact. Do you believe? So I want to close with kind of three applications. First would be, have you come to grips with the reality of the truths that are found in Holy Scripture? Have you come to grips with the fact that the gospel does demand some kind of response and how we respond to it 
determines whether we rise or fall. As we stand before the very real judgment throne of God. The second application is that I want to encourage you, since most of us are believers, I want to encourage you as you're witnessing to people, really even ministering to people. Don't let them carry your faith into that category of mythology or just opinion. It's not. Don't let them say, well, that's true for you and that may work for you, but it wouldn't work for me. Not not if it's a matter of fact in history. And so challenge people, well, where's the substantiation for what you believe? Because here's mine is based on record and documentation. Every generation that has lived since Scripture has been written has scrutinized it to try to defame it. To try to knock it off its throne. It has stood the test of time. And if the Lord tarries, many more generations will try to find flaws in it. It has stood the test of time. So don't, as you're witnessing to people and ministering to people, challenge them. This isn't just a belief. This isn't something that I've come up with in my own mind or that a group of people have agreed. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we just all live according to these rules? This is historical fact, and that changes things. And then lastly, personally, we need to be careful not to fall into the trap of just reading Scripture as um, good personal advice or self-improvement opportunities. There is great advice in Scripture, and yes, there, is, there are self-improvement opportunities in Scripture. But it's real, and it's true, and it's living, and it confronts us in real life. Now, scripture, we don't just read Scripture, it reads us. And thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit that, that has to knock in, into our world and into our minds and say, Hello, what you have believing, what you're believing is not true. This is the truth. And you're not coming to it on your own. So let me help you. Let me open your eyes to this reality that you have been missing out on. So when we approach Scripture, we can approach it with a different mindset and confidence that what I am reading really happened. And what God says is going to happen in the future is really going to happen. So I do need to prepare my heart and prepare my life for when the king returns. The Christian life is a real life. This is uh, Matthew tells us that the church is the outpost. So we are the real hands and feet of Christ. We, we make a real difference here. Just this morning, 8 o'clock, the phone rings. It's here by myself. The phone rings, and it was someone calling the outpost. Someone that knows that we are a Christian church. They, in real life and history, need help with their rent. And they're wondering if we can help them in that. It's not in the realm of opinion or belief. They need something. They need some action. Well, as you know, the next week this place uh, will be crawling with action, both in both genders, lots of action. And this is a huge historical event for New Covenant Fellowship. Uh, in the history, people's lives have been changed. The history of these, ret- of these retreats. 
They've been changed because the, the difference that this makes is when you minister to people. You're not just bringing them another belief system. There's going to be lots of young people here with all kinds of belief systems. We're not adding to that. It's not another option of self-improvement. This is real and true. And when it's embraced appropriately, it really changes the course of history. It really changes people's hearts. And so we know that when people come in their brokenness, if they appropriate God's truths and as you minister to them, it can change their lives forever. And that's what we want to pray that will happen this weekend, uh, this week, all week, in fact. So so I hope that this message prepares our leaders uh, with a greater sense of confidence in what you hold in your hand as a minister of the gospel of Christ. And when you give your talks, when you have your small groups, you're, you're talking about the power of the gospel to save and to create new. And yes, as we sung, to, to turn the ashes Things that have been used up and burned into something new and beautiful. So we want to pray that God will be honored and glorified this morning. The way I want to do that is be a little unorthodox. But we have done it one time before, so it's not that unorthodox. And what I want to do is ask um, that we form a circle. Just if you're able to get up, please don't feel... uh, Ashamed if you're not able to move and get up or it's too much trouble. But if you're able to get up, I want to just kind of form some kind of circle around the church. And then I'd like to ask the ladies, the leaders of the retreat, and then the guys. If you are in the staff for the guys retreat, you're going to speak or you're serving in some kind of way. Let's get in the middle. And we'd like to pray for you. And before we get up, before it gets too chaotic, I'd like to ask for three volunteers to pray for the ladies. Three volunteers to pray for the ladies. And there's one. And there's two. And there's two. Two, two, three, 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 four, 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 five, five. We have two and uh, three. And then I want three volunteers, eager volunteers, to pray for the guys. Three volunteers to pray for the guys. I see people pointing, but I don't see any hands actually going up. We are a praying church, people. Okay, there's one, but he's actually a speaker, so he shouldn't have to pray because he's a speaker. So you got demoted. There's one. And there's two. Josh and... There's... Three. There's three. All right. And I'm going to close. And then also we're going to have a, a, a prayer for what's going on in our country. So that's how we're going to kind of end our, our service. So, folks, if you just kind of form the best circle or perimeter that you can, I'm going to stay up here. But this kind of circle, if you're if you're on the staff, if you're leading.